Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Lord, let your kingdom come in this place now and in our hearts. Open our eyes to see the goodness of you, our Heavenly Father. We trust in the goodness of your love, and we place our trust wholly in you as we look at this prayer this morning. Amen. So I grew up in a pastor's family, and when I was about seven years old one summer, my parents took my three brothers and I to a carnival which was this rare, huge treat for us because we didn't have very much money. And so my brothers and I got to ride on rides and we were so excited. And it was a day kind of like today. It was super hot and sticky, if you can imagine that. Um, And we, it was hot and sticky, but we didn't care because we were kids and we were like high and dizzy off of riding the tilt-a-whirl and we were having a great time. So all around the carnival were stands for the ultimate carnival treat. Of course, I'm talking about cotton candy. We had come to this mecca of cotton candy. And we begged and begged my parents, please, please, can we have the cotton candy? Please, we need it. And my parents said, no, you don't need it. It's too much sugar. It's too expensive. And we persisted. Please, 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 mom, please, dad, please, please, please. And finally, we wore them down and they gave in, which now looking back on this story as a parent, I think that totally makes sense because we were super annoying. And when my kids do that, I'm prone to give in as well. So for this brief moment in time, we had this amazing sugar spun treat. And we, you know, we lifted our fluffy trophies in the air triumphantly, just as in Lord of the Rings Gollum does when he finally gets the ring from Frodo. It was our precious, our precious thing. But tragically, that moment was lost quickly as a summer thunderstorm rolled in. And it rained all over our cotton candy and subsequently all over our arms and really all over our dreams. Uh, So it was just, it was a briefly lived moment. Uh, And the gift that we had been given by our parents had just become this sticky, disgusting mess. And so in our uh, gospel reading this morning, we see the disciples also begging for something. They are asking for something of far greater value than the pink sugar spun fluff that seven-year-old Bonnie so desperately wanted. They are asking for a gift that will never melt away or let them down. It's a gift of substance. And on the surface, they're just asking Jesus, teach us to pray like you do. Uh, But when we dig a little deeper, they're actually asking for so much more than that. They're asking to become like Jesus and to be part of his kingdom. My children started reciting the Lord's Prayer at bedtime when they were, oops, 
Jews again. They recited the Lord's Prayer at bedtime when they were uh, just toddlers. They started doing this. And, you know, they didn't get all the words correctly. And the word temptation is kind of hard to say when you hardly have any teeth. Uh, but they got the gist of it. Um, and this is because it's, it's so repetitive. It's simple. It's this basic prayer that, teach, that Jesus is teaching us. So why does it matter so much then? Why do we say it every week here at City of Light and as we join around the world with other churches who are saying this prayer this morning? Well, as Jesus does so often throughout the Gospels, he is giving us the beautiful in the basic. In fact, the entire Christian life starts right here. And all the riches of the gospel and the kingdom of God are found in this simple prayer and its corresponding parables. And this entire basic passage can be summed up in one short word, which is really more of an invitation than a command. And that word is ask. Ask. So maybe you're here this morning and you've grown up learning this prayer and you're already living a life of asking, and that's great. Or maybe you're here and you've never really learned what it means to ask God for anything. Either way, Jesus is inviting his disciples here and inviting all of us to enter the kingdom of God by asking because God's desire is that we desire. He is showing us both our own brokenness and frailty, but more importantly, the goodness of our heavenly father to give his children the fullness of the kingdom. So like the disciples, we can ask, Jesus, will you teach me how to pray? I don't even know where to begin. So how does the Lord's prayer teach us how to approach our father? I think there are four ways that this passage teaches us that. And as we look at the four of these ways, um, I'll kind of be popping around this passage uh, back and forth. So I'll tell you up top, the four ways are we ask as sons and daughters, we ask in boldness, we ask in authority, and finally, we ask together. So first, we ask as sons and daughters. This is the starting point in a life of asking. Look at verse two. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. That first word of this prayer, Father, which literally um, in the original Greek or Aramaic would not be our Father as we sometimes know it, would just be Father as it is in this translation. That simple word is where everything in this passage hinges. So right off the bat, Jesus is acknowledging his father's role as holy king over all the earth. But even more than that, amazingly, he's acknowledging our role as sons and daughters of this holy king. This tiny two-syllable word, father, contains the intimacy that so many of us long for. It means that we are known and loved and fearfully and wonderfully made. It's a prayer for bold proclamation in packed sanctuaries, 
but also for hush whispers of the heart in the midst of the most vulnerable of suffering. Asking as a child of God means understanding that our Father, who knows each of us, will provide for our specific needs because he knows what those are too. Jesus says, give us each day our daily bread. And then to unpack this short verse, he uses a parable that contrasts God's nature with that of a crabby neighbor. Verse five, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the, the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So um, if you have little kids, or if you've ever watched kids around bedtime, you know the crisis that is the bedtime routine. Um, I think Jim Gaffigan calls it like negotiating with terrorists, which is appropriate on some nights for my family. Um, so imagine this, you're in the ancient Near East where this parable is taking place, and your whole family, your kids, your parents, your brothers and sisters, their kids, you know, they're all, everyone is sleeping um, on the floor in one room, as families still do all over the world, right? So everyone has just gotten down for the night and they've had their 12 sips of water and gone to the bathroom like 18 times and are all snuggled in perfectly with their stuffed animals. And you're just drifting off to sleep yourself when suddenly there's a knock at the door. And you think to yourself, are you kidding me? And then you think to yourself, well, maybe they'll, they'll just go away if I ignore them. But no, they're not going away. There's another knock. And you yell at the door, um, sorry, we're just, we're just getting down for the night. Can you come back tomorrow? But then there's this another knock and another and another. Okay, now they're just pounding. It's kind of rude. So you quietly get up and you tiptoe over the sleeping bodies on the floor. And as you do, your toddler stirs in her sleep and you're like, you freeze in midair in panic, but it's, she settles back down, it's a false alarm. So you keep going and you open the door, finally. Because in this culture, hospitality is king. So Jesus is actually kind of telling a joke here. Because of course, the homeowner is going to let the visitor in. Of course, he's going to give him bread. It's just what you do. So Jesus is doing something interesting here by saying, you are, or we all are, the visitor at the door. But God is not like this grumpy neighbor. We don't pray, our grumpy neighbor in heaven, hallowed be your name. Even the sleeping guy is going to get up eventually. But God, on the other hand, is just waiting for us to knock on the door. We just have to raise our hand the tiniest bit, show this ounce of will, a mustard seed of faith, and God will gladly open the door and say, welcome, I've been waiting for you. 
So the second way that we approach God the Father in the Lord's Prayer is that we ask in boldness. The parable that we just talked about is about the love of the Father, yes. But it's not just about feeling warm fuzzies because we have a good Father. There's also a boldness in calling God Father. It's an invitation of God's power, not just in the abstract, but in the present, in the here and now, in our lives. Uh, Anglican theologian N.T. Wright says that this, is, that this kind of boldness isn't new at all. Jesus is not doing something new, but he's actually hearkening back to the ways that the Israelites would address God throughout the Old Testament. And the example that he uses is a story of the Exodus. When Moses demands by the power of the Lord God of Israel that Pharaoh free his people from slavery and oppression. And what did God do for the Israelites? He freed them, right? He literally moved heaven and earth to lead his people by a pillar of cloud and fire to cross an ocean on foot to escape from the Egyptian soldiers. So that's the father we're addressing when we pray. And that is the father who moved heaven and earth for his son on the cross, destroying the power of sin and death forever. And that's also the promise that we wait for. uh, Because like the Israelites, we wait and groan, as in the pains of childbirth, as Romans 8 says. But the day is coming that Jesus will return to again move heaven and earth to make all things right and good again. Uh, Julian of Norwich was a Christian mystic who lived during the 14th and 15th centuries. She's she's the author of the first known book in the English language written by a woman, which is really cool. She puts this concept so beautifully and simply, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't feel like all things will be well in your life. Maybe you feel like you're still waiting for the well. Jen Pollock Michelle says in her book, Teach Us to Want, that the phrases of the Lord's Prayer are words we pray, not always because we believe them, but because we want to believe them. We approach the Lord to ask, because we know that although we live in the tension of his coming and his coming again, although we wait for the well, God is still our good father who has provided, who will be faithful, who will win the ultimate victory, and his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. So that's why we come in boldness. Or as Hebrews 4 in the message says, Let's walk right up to Jesus and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. So because God is our father, because we come in boldness to ask, we are also given authority in his name when we ask. We ask in authority. The Lord's prayer is about becoming part of his kingdom, about becoming kingdom agents and heirs. It's saying, not only are we sons and daughters of the Father, we are actually siblings with Jesus. And that means we get what he gets. 
which in this case is the authority of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the previous chapter in Luke, chapter 10. Jesus is just sending out his 72 disciples for ministry, and when they return, they're totally astonished, and they're saying, Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. See, here Jesus has given his disciples his own authority. And then he says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. So here again, we see that coming like a child, that recognizing God as our Father is a prerequisite for having this kingdom authority. And this is the upside-downness of the kingdom, right? It's not the clever ones. It's not the politicians. It's not the smooth talkers or the ones who have everything figured out, who have ultimate authority in this kingdom. It's the little children. It's the ones who depend on their father, the ones who come as needy beggars. And that's why we say this prayer every week. It's because we actually really desperately need it. Saying thy kingdom come, the way that Jesus tells us to pray, is a brazen and daring invitation that we give to the Lord. But it's also an affront that flies in the face of the spiritual forces of darkness in this world. It's a declaration that we as his disciples are part of his kingdom coming here on earth. It's the church's battle cry It's a revolution, says N.T. Wright. And this authority comes through apprenticeship, or as we learned last week with our Mary and Martha passage, means sitting at Jesus' feet and learning from him. And here in Luke 11, we see the disciples actually doing that. Verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Okay, Jesus must have been so happy when they finally asked him this. He's like, you guys are you're finally getting it, like you're doing something right. I wish that you would ask me stuff like this more often. But uh, how did the disciples even know how or what to ask? Well, they had been watching him, right? We know from uh, earlier passages in the Gospels that Jesus often prayed by himself while he was with the disciples. So he was kind of off on his own, but he he was still with them in a way. So the disciples had seen this going on, and they're like, hey, we want in on this. And this is the model of spiritual childlikeness. Um, some of you might be familiar with J.J. Abrams, who is a brilliant producer, director, storyteller. Uh, I still remember watching the first few seasons of Lost on DVD and Trevor in my first apartment after we got married. And just that feeling of like, what is happening? Like, what, what is on this island, you know? Um, and after each episode, we would turn to each other and be like, do you want to watch one more? And then the other person would say, oh, I have, to, I have to get up early for work. And then we'd kind of just sit there, like, talking back and forth. And then, oh, look, it's already starting. Oh, no, I guess we'll just watch another one. It was so good. Um, but in an inter- interview with uh, Esquire magazine, Abrams shared that his biggest influence as a child was his maternal grandfather, who owned an electronics business where Abrams 
remembers his grandfather would take apart radios and telephones, just all sorts of electronics, and he would explain to him why and how they worked. In a way, says Abrams, when I was a little kid, he was more of a father figure than my father. Like most dads of that era, mine was always busy working. So they'd go on walks together and make up stories together. Esquire notes, uh, when you think about it, Storytelling is a lot like electronics. It's all about how you take things apart and why each piece is necessary and where it fits in. The same is true of magic and illusion. That's what filmmaking is all about. So Abrams' grandpa took him on the Universal Studios tour as well when he was about seven or eight years old. Uh, JJ says, it was this aha moment for me. I saw how movies used illusion in this grand way they talked about technology in a way that was fascinating. The use of cameras and special effects and different techniques, it just felt like the answer to a question I didn't even know I was asking. Suddenly I realized, this is what I want to do. And that's what's happening here with the disciples. They're saying, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to see the world. This is the person I want to be like. So the last way that we approach our Father in the Lord's Prayer is that we ask together. Have you noticed that there aren't any singular pronouns in this whole prayer? In fact, if you have your Bibles in front of you and you want to look with me, let's count the number of times we see this. Uh, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive, forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. That's seven times. So Jesus is being really clear here that we, when we pray this, we're asking as one people. And this is a reason why we say it every week together. Because when we do, we're promising that we're going to live in this kingdom, not only with Jesus, but with one another as brothers and sisters in the church. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. In this verse, Jesus is treating forgiveness as a given. And even as a kid, I kind of paused at this verse because it didn't really make sense to me. Because Jesus isn't saying, as you have forgiven us, help us forgive others. But he's actually saying, we cannot live true lives of walking in God's grace without giving that grace to others. The Lord's Prayer is an invitation not to just the one-time acts of sporadic forgiveness, but to a life of forgiveness, both for one another and from the Lord. Jesus is teaching us here that our relationships with one another should not and cannot be severed from our relationship with God the Father. They're so deeply connected. And we must live lives of continually giving and receiving in this kind of cyclical rhythm of grace. And this rhythm is really, really hard. <laughs> in fact, it's impossible without that grace that Jesus first gives us. We're just not up to the task on our own. 
So here we are again, acknowledging our need, admitting our brokenness, asking our Heavenly Father to intervene. And once again, He is thrilled. He is just waiting to give us what we need. So what keeps us from living these lives of kingdom asking? Um, I think there are three roadblocks, and I want to talk about these in light of what Scripture promises for each. So first, some of us simply cannot believe that we have a good father who longs to give his children good gifts. Maybe we don't understand the goodness of the father because we have no earthly model to point to. We had a dad who wasn't around or wasn't emotionally present or was withholding in some way. And we might have an intimacy with Jesus because sometimes it's easier to connect with him but connecting with the Heavenly Father somehow feels stunted or awkward or he feels too big or too far away. If this is your reality this morning, my prayer for you is that you'll trust in this word from the book of James. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. There is no shadow of turning with our Father. There is no darkness or malintent. If you feel like God is far from you, keep knocking at that door, asking for your daily bread. He will give you not the food of snakes and scorpions, but the food that will nourish you. If you cannot trust the Father, Simply trust what Jesus says about his Father. Or maybe some of you have asked and asked and asked too many times and have been disappointed. You have knocked at the door, but it feels like nobody's answering. So you think, why bother, right? If I keep my expectations low, I won't be let down. For you this morning, um, I want you to sit in the truth that our Father is big enough for your disappointments and your doubts. He is the King of heaven who promises that the one who seeks will find. When the other disciples believed that Jesus had risen from the dead, but Thomas still needed more proof, Jesus did not shame Thomas but instead he showed him his wounds. And Thomas believed. So bring Jesus your doubts and your fears. Keep seeking and you will find him. Uh, Last, your block might be that you need to expand your kingdom imagination. So many of us live in this place. I know I do. We're not asking, or we are asking, but we're not asking as sons and daughters. We're not asking with those kingdom family values in mind because we're praying for our own kingdom to come. We need to realign our hearts with asking in a way that says, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. We've allowed ourselves to ask out of our own selfishness or fear or insecurity 
And sometimes in our feebleness, we, don't, we just don't even know how to ask, right? We don't know what to ask for. In the Gospel of Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. So this is the great paradox. We have to ask to know how to ask. And the Lord will purify our petitions and expand our kingdom imagination. So whatever your block might be for coming to the Father and experiencing his goodness, I just want to say this morning that God is the ultimate Father. He's the perfect host. He's the good shepherd. Psalm 84 says, No good thing will he withhold for those whose walk is blameless. And that doesn't mean living a perfect life, but it does mean living a life depending fully on the Father, falling into those rhythms of asking and dependence. God is a good Father and great is his faithfulness. As we close, I want to pray for each of you. And as we do, I just want to invite you to um, think about those three roadblocks and ask the Lord which of those might relate to you, which of those you might be experiencing. And just as a reminder, the three are that you might not know the goodness of the Father, You've been disappointed before in your asking. And third, you need to expand your kingdom imagination. So just ask the Lord to reveal which of these you're facing and let's invite him into those barriers. Let's pray. Lord, you tell us, fear not, little flock. For it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes to your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Where there are barriers to us coming to you as our Father, we ask that you would remove those. And you would reveal your faithfulness you would reveal your love that does not turn us away empty-handed. Teach us to desire what you desire, Lord. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.